0: Underwritten by Golden Rule Insurance Company, they offer budget-friendly, flexible coverage for people who are in between jobs or missed open enrollment. The plans last nearly three years in some states, with access to a nationwide network of doctors and hospitals. So for whatever tomorrow brings, Healthcare tri-term medical plans may be for you. Learn more at UH1.com. Spring? Is that you? Warmer temps mean new Allbirds styles. Meet the Super Light Collection, the lightest ever shoes from Allbirds, now in fresh colors.
1: army truck, but it's also a computer. What What is this?
2: This is an Apple IIe Platinum.
1: I found it in a junkyard that was buried in the leaves and underneath the trees, um, and I could only see part of the keyboard sticking up out of the ground. Um, got a shovel, dug it up, pulled all the little roots out from underneath the chips, run the mother motherboard through the dishwasher about three times,
2: um, and... After several days of cleaning, she booted right up.
1: Hello, and welcome to Radio Motherboard. I'm staff writer Jason Kebler, and this episode is all about Kansas Fest. Kansas Fest started in 1989 as an annual Apple II Developers Conference. 26 years later, it's still a conference all about the Apple II. It's held every year in Kansas City at Rockhurst University, and I checked it out earlier this month. If you don't remember the Apple II, maybe this old commercial will help jog your memory.
2: Remember how determined your parents were to give you the gift of knowledge, no matter how many gifts it took? Today you have a big advantage with the Apple II GS. Apple II computers are found in more schools than any other computer. Your parents gave you the world. You can give your kids the universe.
1: The original Apple II cost about $1,300, or around five grand if you account for inflation. These days, you can pick one up for maybe $100 on eBay, or you might be able to snag one from a school yard sale, or like James Littlejohn, who you heard at the beginning of this episode, you might be able to snag one from a junkyard, put it through the dishwasher, and turn it on. Kansas Fest isn't like a lot of other computer festivals. For one thing, these people live with each other. They go to Rockhurst University, where they live in a dorm. They sleep very little. They eat every meal together. They, you know, fuel their late night hack sessions with Mountain Dew. Head out to, you know, do three or four a.m. runs to fast food restaurants. And overall, it's just a really interesting, awesome community of people who are either obsessed with or totally are into uh, retro gaming, retro computing, programming. You name it. Another interesting thing about Kansas Fest is the fact that people are still making new things for the Apple II. There is a, a tournament of a game called the Flapple Bird, which is a port of, uh, you know, Flappy Bird, that infuriating uh, iPhone game that came out a couple years ago. Uh, there was discussion of what the best mouse of all time for the Apple II was. Uh, I met a guy who is giving the Apple II Japanese support, which... It just blows my mind. Um, people were making music sequencers for the Apple II. Uh, you see flash drives everywhere that have been hacked to run in you know, 30-year-old computers. And you would never know any of this existed unless you were in this community. Throughout this podcast, you're going to hear from various Kansas Fest attendees who I asked... You know, to recount some of their memories with the Apple II when they've got their first Apple II, what they were doing at Kansas Fest, many of them traveled thousands of miles to get there. Some people drove 16 hours, others flew. Um, Many of them loaded up their cars with, you know, just towers and towers and keyboards and monitors and all the things you need to run an Apple II these days. And we're also going to talk to Stephen Wyrick, who is a medical doctor who has also written some of the most definitive histories of the Apple II. He's also one of the organizers of Kansas Fest and has been coming for almost 20 years now. We're also going to talk to Jason Scott, who is an archivist at the Internet Archive. Jason Scott has become well-known for kind of grabbing old floppy disks and Flash programs and America Online CDs and just anything, any sort of ephemera from the retro computing days, because he thinks it all needs to be saved, and we're also going to talk to the keynote speaker Rebecca Heineman, who is a legendary video game programmer. She worked on all sorts of games for EA Games. Um, she's well known for doing Bard's Tale, Task Times in Tone Town, uh, Mind Shadow, Battle Chess. She's also written a lot of fan fiction about Sailor Moon, Ronma One Half. Uh, The Terminator, and a few other things, um, which is not really related to Kansas Fest, but she is just a very fascinating woman and is well-known in the industry.
3: (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, so it's kind of the traditional... It's the traditional block... Um, game where you try and knock the blocks over the wall.
4: I think it was in 1984. Cause I remember in the showroom, uh, the Macintosh was there, but it was way more than we could afford my family, so we went with a 2E instead.
5: I got my first Apple II. It must have been in about 1987, I think. I inherited some Apple IIs that the Vienna International School was doing away with. They were, you know, I upgrading and so they just they donated me some Apple IIEs and that was my very first personal computer was the Apple IIE.
3: Um so I did not have a 2GS as a kid. I tended to have I had a two E and so I tended to play more adventure type stuff. I I did not play this one as a kid. I think there's some something very similar to this in the
6: arcades, which is what I remember it from. Well, I didn't have an Apple II until 81 when the, my school district bought two Apple II Pluses there for my classes, but uh, I, my first computer was a Franklin, uh, but uh, after that, uh, I got a Apple II GS in uh, December of 86, and I still have it, and I still use it.
1: And uh, what did you do with it, you know, what did you do with your first Apple II?
6: Um, well, I did get into online stuff. I had a modem, and I spent way too much on long-distance phone calls to get to the nearest bulletin boards or the
4: uh, later on to... Uh uh, mostly, I... Um played pirate games, and uh, typed up papers that I took to school to print out.
5: Um, well, I actually managed to get online with it. I got yeah. onto the board systems, like there was CompuServe and Genie. They were up at the time. And that was the only way to get on the internet, really. So I used it to communicate with, and AppleWorks, used AppleWorks to do word processing on it.
7: I uh, learned uh, 6502 machine language programming from the reference manual. I uh, learned uh, hex codes, learned all of the good low-level stuff.
3: I spent a lot of time doing that and kind of Ultima. A lot of, lot of adventure-type games is what I used to do. I'm not real good at the fast-touch ones, just not my not my strong part. Um, and I did a lot of time programming, so I used to do a ton of time just sitting in front of it, fiddling, mm-hmm. um, maybe not being particularly productive, but uh, certainly learning a, 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 about a lot of different things, and it's, it's kind of funny how some of that stuff will come around and... Kind of makes sense why, why you see multiple.
8: I'm Rebecca Heineman, I'm CEO of Old School, and I'm based in Seattle.
1: And you are the keynote speaker at Kansas Fest, correct?
8: Yes, I was.
1: Oh, you're a games programmer during the 80s and continue to be, correct?
8: Yes. Um, I earned that. Uh, well, I earned the title of being the keynote speaker because I have the dubious honor of being the first and last programmer to write a commercial video game for the 2GS. And what was that game? Uh, the first game I did that was on the 2GS when the 2GS first shipped was Task Times in Tone Town. And then about seven years later, I released a game called Out of This World from Interplay, commercially released on the 2GS. And as far as I'm aware, there hasn't been any other commercial games released since.
1: So that was the only commercial game ever released. Why? why Not the only one. Oh, okay. Okay. Well, first the, the first one. and the last. So explain that.
8: Well, you see, I was... Uh, I was notified of the, a project called Cortland at Apple. So Interplay Productions, which was the company I was working for at the time, uh, we had the opportunity to write a game and get it out in time when the 2GS first shipped. And that's when I was doing a game called Task Times in Towntown, Town so that when the Apple 2GS hit the stores, my game was already on store shelves. Mm-hmm. Well, then years go by, I wrote many games. I did The Bard's Tale. Um, I did Crystal Quest, SimCity, uh, Ultima 1, Um, And it just goes on and on, but all these two Apple IIgs games I worked on. But then as the Apple IIgs's popularity started to wane and sales started to drop, companies one by one just dropped out of the market. Until eventually there was really no one left. And an opportunity arose for me to convert a Super Nintendo game I did called Out of This World to the Apple IIgs. So I did it, and it was picked up commercially, sold in... uh, some mail order outlets because stores weren't even carrying Apple 2GS games then. And once that was done, no, as far as I'm aware, no other major publisher has released an Apple 2GS game ever since. But then again, it makes sense. The market's dead. The commercial market, it's one where you're not going to go into a Best Buy or a um, Fry's Electronics and find an Apple 2 for sale there. I mean, that's what I refer to when the market's dead. Uh, The 2GS, as well as many other computers, have their really um, vibrant following at this convention.
1: So from what I understand, you haven't been to a Kansas Fest for a few years, correct? When was your first?
8: My first was when Kansas Fest first created. Uh, Before Kansas Fest became Kansas Fest, it was the Apple II Developer Summer Conference. And I was even attending the previous one, which was Apple Computer sponsored a thing called Apple Fest. And as an Apple II developer, I attended it. And it was as big as Macworld. I mean, there were thousands and thousands of people, and they rented a center up in... Uh, it was Moscone Center in San Jose. But somewhere around the late 80s was when um, Apple really decided they just didn't want to really pref- uh, support the Apple II anymore, and they wanted to focus everything on the Mac. Well, that's when a group called Resource Central then decided... To hold their own developer conference, because even at that time, there was still a vibrant commercial software industry for the Apple II. And that uh, conference was being held here in Overland Park, Kansas. And so after a few years of that, when the commercial market died, people said, well, we still want to get together every year. And it morphed into uh, what we now know as Kansas Fest and being held at Avila College. Now, during all those years, I was a regular attendee. And it was somewhere around 1999, 2000, somewhere in that time frame. I'm not really sure exactly which year. is one where I just start getting busy with other projects, and none of them involve the Apple II. So it was like, yeah, I wanted to go to Kansas Fest, but at that very same time, it's either was standing of Comic-Con was going on or some other event, so it was like always bad timing. Mm -hmm. And then I just simply lost interest. Yeah, when I first uh, was asked to be the keynote speaker, I was like, you're still doing this? Uh, It's been 15 years, and my big concern was that, uh, do Apple IIs even still work? Uh, Because, you know, when you have a computer that's over, you know, nowadays, if a computer's over five years old, you have worries that it's going to start failing or breaking down. It's almost to the point of planned obsolescence. So... um, Uh, So they asked me to keynote, and I immediately accepted. Um, And as the months started going by getting close to Kansas Fest, a very unique opportunity just arose in which a game I wrote called Bard's Tale in uh, 1986, 1987 for the 2GS— a company called In Exile is doing a Kickstarter for Barstow 4, that the is already done. It's over. But they wanted to release the original trilogy onto the PC, and the only way they were doing it is through emulation of the Apple II version. And I said, well, let me take my original Apple II version and put it onto the PC natively.
5: Mm-hmm.
8: We struck a deal, and now I'm doing that. But it made me pull out my Apple II GS and start pulling up the software, and I'm going like, oh my God, it's... My GS still runs and everything, and it's like, cool. And it just reminded me of all the fun I had 15 years ago, or actually in this case, 20 years ago. And uh, so I've been now back into doing a little bit of 2GS development as I'm also doing this project for In Exile. And so it's just great timing. Mm -hmm. And here I am.
1: Yeah, that sounds like an amazing project, and the people here seem very excited about it. Mm -hmm. What about... um, are you having fun, you know, since you've been here? You've been here three days now, I guess?
8: Yes, I've been here uh, since I started the show on uh, this is the third day. And I've been having a great time. And it looks like I may be coming back next year.
1: Nice.
8: <laughs> All right, thank you so much. It was
1: great.
2: <laughs> <laughs> Best This Kansas fest, that conference are excellent. This one for them hack men, them crack men at retro pieces. Fly in, drive in, in July, Kansas City. There's eight Megs in my two GS. Gotta kiss the screen, so pretty. It's too hot, hot damn. Put solder onto that contact, man. It's too hot, hot damn. That old power supply is smoking, man. It's too hot, hot damn. With all those cards, you're gonna need a fan. It's too hot. Gotta register some money. Break it down, Smith in the apple to ya. Yeah. Hacks that are pretty cool, yeah. Keeping alive, homebrew, yeah. Casque Fest funk gonna give it to you. Causque fest funk gonna give it to you. Causque fest funk gonna give
7: it to you. So could you introduce yourself first? Uh I'm Steve Wyrick. I'm one of the Kansas Fest committee members, and I've been attending Kansas Fest for a number of years. What is Kansas Fest? Kansas Fest is an annual Apple II convention uh, that happens in Kansas City in July. It's been happening every year since 1989 uh, under a couple of different uh, organizing groups. Um, Our goal is to uh, keep doing interesting things with the Apple II retrocomputing platform. Uh, And every year, people come up with interesting and new things they found to do with this uh, 37-year-old technology. Eight year old actually. When did you get your first Apple II? I first had access to an Apple II while I was in medical school in 1981, 80 or 81, an Apple II Plus. And uh, it was sitting in a place in the... Uh, hospital complex I worked at that wasn't being used much. And uh, I had already had a background of doing some computer programming in college uh, on a small IBM mainframe. And so this was something that I could have fun with. And there were magazines you could get at the time and put in programs uh, from the magazines. I got involved with that, learned how to do basic programming, learned how to do assembly language programming, and... um, Eventually got my own Apple IIc in '84 when it was new, and then got an Apple IIgs around the early '90s. So, uh, have you always been like into Apple II,
1: even since you know, like the last ten years, or is this a newfound kind of love for an old computer?
7: Uh, well, I was involved with um, a local user group in the early 1990s in Omaha. And on my first meeting there, they said, we could use help with the newsletter. And I said, well, sure, I could do that. I was on Genie, which was an online service, and there was always news about companies coming up with new products or new software, and uh, I was interested in that, so I would collect things that were being discussed on the various forums on uh, Genie about new things with the Apple II, and I put together a little news thing for our newsletter, and because we needed more stuff to fill, I looked at what had been going on with the Apple II since it first started and decided, well, let me write a little history of how this happened, you know, why we do this to reuse the computer instead of just turn it on and, uh, and to print we have to do this, which is odd. And so I compiled this history of the Apple II that looked at each of the models and it looked at software and uh, peripherals and... Um, books and magazines and things like that. And by the time I was done, I had like 23 user group newsletter articles. Actually, I think there were more than 23 because some of them were so long, they had to be broken into a couple pieces. And uh, that was, a, I, after we ran it in our newsletter, I put it up online for free uh, for people to use in their newsletters if they wanted to elsewhere in the country or in the world, and a number of places did use it. Uh, around 95, somebody put it on uh, a web page in the early internet when the web pages were new. And after a while, I took it over and started, continued to update it, uh, continued adding to it till uh, about a year and a half ago, I came out with it as a book. Mm. And so I have uh, a book called Simplicity and Sophistication, the History of the Apple II Computer. And so that kind of tells the story of everything that was on the website about the Apple history. And so I have the History knowledge, I have liked collecting information about the Apple II. I don't do much programming with it anymore because I haven't really got a reason to do programming these days. Uh, but I like the history, I like the information, I like what new people are doing, new things people right. find to do with it. And this is the place every year to come to find out about that. Uh, people finding new ways of using their old computers, new ways of using the technology. Because things with moving parts eventually stop working. So they find solid-state solutions to use a flash drive to use instead of a floppy disk, for example. Although we have a lot of floppy disks that we find that still work and uh, people use them. Uh, I have an emulator I use on my MacBook Pro uh, if I want to do Apple II stuff or Apple II GS stuff. But I actually have the actual hardware at home if I want to do anything on the hardware.
1: Are there purists who want to use only stock things and not upgrade to flash, or is it kind of accepted that this is something necessary to move the platform forward?
7: Oh, there's both. I mean, if you are a collector, you don't want to just have the device sitting there and have it not functional, you want to have it so that you could turn it on and stick a disc in there and start up a game and play it or whatever it is you wanted to do with it, Uh, you want to have that working, Uh, but there's some people who want to get... Uh, they want to get their old discs digitized, so to speak, into a form that will work into a non-physical media form that will work on a modern computer emulator. So they c- I mean for me with with my the two emulator programs I have to use on my MacBook Pro, I have access to a large library of Apple II stuff if I want to use it, games that I can still play and uh, productivity programs like Apple works, not the Apple works that Apple, made a few years ago that ran on the Mac, but the original one that was on the Apple II that was a huge seller for it. Uh, I can use those things if I wish on my MacBook Pro. Uh, And I'm running an Apple II on my Mac. Uh, So as far as the purest part of it, these days, pretty much everybody, there, there, there's not going to be a lot of people out there that are still actively using an Apple II on a day-to-day basis. Here and there, there's a few people who have been running their business on it for years, and they want to keep doing it because it's still working, and you have to change over to something new if you do that, and that's fine. If it's working, there's no reason to change. Uh, if you have casual use like I have, uh, it's much easier to you know sit on the couch upstairs and put you know uh, a game on my Apple II to play than it is to have to go downstairs and plug the things in and turn the computer on and use it there away from the rest of the family. The portable world has obviously kept some of the desktop computers, they're not being used much anymore even if they're not an old computer. Wait. So there are people who still use Apple II's on a day-to-day
1: basis for their computers.
7: They're very few and far between. There is, uh, I mentioned AppleWorks. One of the guys who was a programmer for AppleWorks, who made the fourth and fifth, third, fourth, and fifth versions of it back in the '80s. His name is Randy Brandt, and he actually was helping maintain a watch. Repair business in New York City that was being run on an Apple II or 2GS system for many years. Uh, he had a lot of macro extensions that he had helped program into AppleWorks that this guy was using to run his business. And I think it was only in the last two or three years that the guy finally changed it over to some uh, more modern platform. But that was a matter of having to translate a lot of stuff that had been done before on these macros on Apple Works to use on some modern uh, billing and uh, work order system. And so if, it's like if you have something that's working, there's no reason to change it. And that was the way this guy felt for many years. Why should I change this? He even contracted with Randy to come out and service his Apple II so he could keep the business running as it had been instead of having to find a new system and learn a new system. So, what what is it about the Apple II that ha, like garners such a
1: following? I mean, you don't see this with like a 386, or maybe you do, but I don't. I don't. I mean, are there 386 fanboys out there?
7: I, I don't know about those. I know that the the retro computing um, landscape includes not just the Apple II. There are. Uh, there is in Las Vegas every year. There's some uh, Commodore show for people that were fans of the Commodore 64. There, is, uh, there are some vintage computer festivals in various parts of the country each uh, year. There's VCF East that's in New Jersey. There's VCF Southeast that's now being held in Atlanta. There's a Midwest one in the Chicago area. Uh, they haven't had one on the West Coast for a while. And these are festivals where people come not just to talk about the Apple II, but they come to talk about even old iron like mainframe computers or PDP 11 or something like that. Uh, But they also have people that talk about the older computers. The whole home personal computer revolution that started um, in the mid 70s, first with the build it kits like an Altair, and then the actual sit down, plug it in, use it machines like the Apple II. TRS, Radio Shack, TRS-80, and the original Commodore PET, those computers have very faithful following of some people who loved them from the beginning because it was the first thing they got to use, and they used it to death. And I've, there's podcasts that discuss all of these platforms, and I think the common thing I found between all of them is that the people who have a computer that they got to use a lot and you had many times you had either didn't have any software and you had to write your own program so you had to learn basic you had to learn assembly language you had to figure out how to make a floppy disk work you had to figure out how to save your program on cassette if you didn't have a floppy disk uh, so these people really got into it's Sometimes it's like the first car you own is something you look back fondly on. I loved this XYZ car because it was the first one I owned. It was a wreck at the time I got it, but I loved it, even though I've got a nice, modern, fuel-efficient car today. And I think for a lot of people, it's that same nostalgia factor. Uh, It's also a simplicity factor. Uh, I can't speak personally about the Commodore PET or a Commodore 64 or uh, Atari computers, because I never really used them very much other than seeing them in stores at the time. I had the opportunity to have access to an Apple II. I did a lot of stuff with it. I invested a lot of time and knowledge into it to the point where I felt like I really understood all of what the system is doing, all 64K of memory and what's happening in RAM and ROM and the uh, software, that the, the, the firmware, the program's are using when they run on those on the Apple II. I understood it well enough where I could wrap my head around all of what it's, it's doing. But you get to something that's a little bit more. Even the first Macintosh uh, is 128 k of of RAM. Of RAM. Uh, the one that came after that was 512 k. And as the Mac just got bigger and bigger, it got more and more complex. The operating system was more and more complicated. And I'm sure if I'd started, if I was younger and I'd started with a Mac, I would probably have the same nostalgia towards the original Macs that I have for the old Apple II. It just didn't have it. But as things progress, they get bigger and bigger and more complex. You get farther and farther away from the actual metal that the thing's running on that you, you don't have that connection to the device that you had. And things change so fast. I mean, look at you—you you get a new phone every two years, and the phone is like a million times more powerful than any, than the Apple II was. Uh, it does so much more, but you can't do things on the metal. They've, for security reasons, they block that stuff out. Same thing with my MacBook that I use now—is that I'm focused on applications that I use, but I don't have to worry about the well, I could if I wanted to figure out how am I going to interface this so I can uh, plug something in to let me run my uh, remote-controlled helicopter. Uh, you know, I could do that and probably somebody's got stuff in there that would make it happen, but even so it's still, you're, you're very separated from the heart, the firmware you and don't hardware thing. not or
1: understand how the MacBook works.
7: Just the fact that I can start it up <laughs> and I can use iTunes, I can use uh, the photo app, I can use, you know, whatever it is I need to do to get done what I want to accomplish. And I mean, that's good because there's so much more you can do with a modern computer that you could not easily do. You have to put another disk in and turn off the computer and turn it back on again to get it to run on Apple II. And later on when they had hard drives, you could run all these individual programs.
0: A lot can happen in three years, like a chatbot may be your new best friend. But what won't change? Needing health insurance. United Healthcare Tri-Term Medical Plans, underwritten by Golden Rule Insurance Company, offer flexible, budget-friendly coverage that lasts nearly three years in some states. Learn more at UH1.com.
7: Nothing simultaneously like having ten things open at once, like I have on my Mac. Uh, And the same thing applies to Windows computers. Windows has the same... Increased uh, uh, complexity and distance from the metal that the, the Macs have. The closest thing you'd have these days would be the people running Arduinos and using um, Raspberry Pis, uh, which are small, like a $35, 40 computer. But it's basically it's a Unix machine. And as a Unix machine, it lets you do more with it, and you can use it to control real-world physical devices Uh but that being said, being said, Unix is still far more complicated than the Apple II is, or was, and so you're still distanced from the metal on it. You can learn how to do some programming things on there. In fact, people have here who are at this conference have created a Raspberry Pi interface uh, that has a modification of it to specifically uh, plug it into an Apple II and use it as a wireless disk. Server for an Apple II, so you can use this to run software on your Apple II again wirelessly and without having to use a real disk drive. Um, So they've used this old, they've used this new technology to do new things with their old technology. Uh, So you know, a, a Raspberry Pi is still way more powerful than an old Apple II, but it does get you a little bit closer to the metal than modern computers do. And a lot of people don't care, but. Some people do want to mess around with that. We have a lot of people here who know hardware, no software, no cool things they can do. We have a, a, a company uh, Ultimate micro here who was announcing several products for the Apple II and 2gs that they're going to be selling on an active ongoing basis memory cards for it people basically things to serve the retro computing community people who still want to use their Apple II. You don't have a memory card for your Apple IIgs, they're going to sell you one. If you want to have different connectors to plug other keyboards into it or use your keyboard on other things, there's another company, Option 8, that has things for that. It's, it is a very small, it's a niche community. It's not, they're going to be selling millions of these things. They'd be lucky if they sell hundreds of them. But still, it's great to have stuff like that out there filling the gaps of things that you couldn't get with a... Um, Retro computer as easily in the day you can get them now.
1: Right. How has Kansas Fest changed since you started coming here?
7: How it has changed. Early on, it was there to help the community that's writing software uh, as a business, writing software, producing hardware as a business. It was there for them. During the late '90s, it was kind of helping the people who still wanted to use their Apple II's because it was still working very well. You know, again, it's like that business, and you know, New York City is using it for his. Uh, watch repair business If it's not broke, don't fix it And we kept using our Apple Twos Because we were still using them uh, We had no reason to change Because we, you know, you've know, you invested a lot of time and knowledge in this It does what I need to do for the things I'm doing I don't care about a Mac I don't care about a Windows computer I want to use this And those, So people were helping continue it at that time um, In the late 90s Into the early 2000s It was transitioning somewhat from Uh, continuing to go on just for the sake of we want to keep having this go on every year. And then starting probably around 2005, about 10 years ago, is when it started looking a little bit less like the uh, we're hanging on uh, to keep this going to any means, but to the point where it's like people want to come because they want to do the retro stuff. Now it's retro. Um, On my Apple II History website, because I was that... Focal point for all this history stuff, I would have some people in the early 2000s, late 90s, that say, Hey, I've got this old Apple II Plus system. I don't want any more D1. It? It's like I had nowhere to store this stuff, so I said no. Now we have eBay and people put these things up there, and they're way too expensive because they become more rare; that they're more valuable. You can't just have somebody call me up and say, "Hey, I want to give you one now," because they've gone from being a "it's an old computer, nobody wants this" to being "oh, it's a collectible, it's a collectible computer." Now we want it. I would imagine
1: that some pretty rare stuff comes through this festival, right? What is the you know most unique thing that you've seen in recent years?
7: Probably the the most fun. Kansas Fest was two years ago. We had Randy Wigginton come. Randy Wigginton was somebody who was an, a, a high school student when he started working for Apple because he was friends with Waz back in the late 70s. And he later became part of the team that helped work on the original Macintosh. He was one of the authors of MacWrite, which is the word processor they shipped with the original Macintosh. Um, so we asked him to come and be a keynote speaker, and we thought, oh, great, he's coming. And we didn't know at the time, but we found out later that Waz thought, oh, well, if Randy's going to be there, I'll be there, too. So that year, we had Randy Wigginton, who was well-known about his time with the Apple II in the early days as well as his Macintosh stuff, but also Waz shows up. And so we kind of had a double keynote. Randy talked. Waz came up and talked some, too. And then Waz actually stayed for several days, and he attended a lot of the sessions. I gave a talk about the history of the disk operating system because that's one of the things Randy was involved with was helping with the disk operating system on the Apple II. I gave a talk about it and then Waz came up and talked a little bit to me afterwards and pointed out some mistakes I made which was fun. <laughs> but uh and so since Waz is here that year and we're having on our social media things we have on our Facebook page and our uh, our website that oh Waz showed up. Guy drives in from uh, Chicago who has an Apple One. I still don't know his name, but he came in with the Apple One. He brought it here because he knew Waz was here. He wanted Waz to sign it. And so he has the thing set up here in this lobby over here, and we could just use it. We could try it out. You know, try typing on this Apple One that's still working out, you know, one out of 75 or still remaining functioning Apple. Well, not even all the Apple Ones that are out there work. This is one of the working ones. Right. Uh, and, you know, Wazda sat down and typed a little bit on it, and uh, he sat and talked about it a little bit. So that was a fun one. It was, that was the most uh, unique item that's come through. It wasn't a giveaway item, obviously, but it was, it was like a, one of those you-had-to-be-there kind of things, and I had the privilege of have, being able to be there that year for it. Okay, thank you so much. This is very, very helpful. Um,
1: Kansas Fest has a whole playful culture surrounding it. Every year, James Littlejohn, who you heard at the beginning of the podcast— fills a converted school bus, he chopped the top off it more or less, with all sorts of Apple II ephemera that he and his friend Sean Figgy pick up over the course of the year. I was able to grab a couple of very old floppy disks, but if you get there really early, you can pick up keyboards, motherboards, old mice, games, books, and sometimes even full working Apple IIs.
4: Uh, it's James Littlejohn's truck. Uh, it is a 19, I think it's a, he said it's a 1973, School bus uh, that he's converted into a—it's uh, hard to explain—a double cab extended bed truck, and uh, it's a—it's a, an experiment in process. Um, but it's—it's—it's it's, it's basically a converted bus. Mm-hmm. And uh, back when it was a bus, he would drive it up here, and I would cram that thing full of stuff. And now we can only, unfortunately, cram only three quarters of them up of the stuff that we used to bring
1: because he chopped the top off or
4: yeah chopped the top off and the bed's a little shorter uh, but there's there's uh, you know the the front cab is you know where two people sit and then there's the rear area's got suicide doors that open in the wrong direction and he's planning to put a bench seat in there it, it,
1: if you couldn't tell by steve wyricks parody song earlier these people sincerely love what they're doing lots of them say it's the highlight of their year At Kansas Fest, sleep is looked at as a thing for the week. There's a cookout, a door decorating contest, and a really wacky game called Bite the Bag, which I'll let Steve explain.
7: There's various rules about this, uh, but there's some video on our Kansas Fest website, YouTube channel, that shows how it's done. Basically, you have a paper bag on the ground. You have to having with one extremity touching the floor, lean over and pick up the bag in your mouth. And then after everybody's gone through and done it, they tear off a one-inch strip, and then you do it again. And you get to the point where people are, like, on one knee, balancing on the ground, trying to pick up this bag uh, on the floor. And it gets to the point where there's basically nothing left but a piece of paper from the bag on the floor they're picking up, and whoever does it, whoever gets through the most rounds without falling over and, and touch, you have three chances, without falling over and touching the floor is the winner, bite the bag.
1: So you met your, you actually met your husband here.
5: That's correct. Well, we've been, um, also I mentioned the bulletin board systems that we you know, use on comprehensive and the groups, and I've seen Stanley's name and many of these other folks' names there too. I think Carl was also on that, and Joe Cohn. And uh, I decided I wanted to come to k that year, and I met Stanley in person and we communicated for a while, and eventually I came over and went to grad school here, and he and I got married.
1: What's your new project? Uh, it's a new programming language for the Apple II. Oh, wow. What, and what, uh, why? <laughs> why? <laughs> why? <laughs> yeah.
4: That is a very good question and probably not a very good answer, but uh, why not? And what do you do with it now? Uh, Now, I just uh, like to try out some of the new things that are coming out uh, lately. And uh, actually, to be honest, I do more with an emulator because I can do it wherever I am. Uh, Yeah, it's pretty fun to just follow along. And what are you doing right now? Um, I am
8: working on Japanese support for the Apple 2GS. I can show you right here. So uh, back in the late 80s and early 1990s, uh, some of the people who bought Apple 2GSs in Japan, where a few of them were sold, um, but they came with no native Japanese support, worked on adding it themselves, and uh, they created a font, and they created a tool set that was capable of patching in everything that was needed to display Japanese characters on the Apple 2GS. And the last version of the software that makes this possible was released in 1990.
1: I know Waz has come a couple times to this thing. Um, did Steve Jobs ever, uh, like, acknowledge this, its existence or anything like that that you're aware of? This event. Oh, heavens, no. <laughs> Heaven, no, no, absolutely not.
5: Well, I think it's cool because, you know, you get down to the basics and everything. You know, you see where everything started out.
1: Is this your first K-Fest?
5: Yes, it is. I've... I've I've technically been here, but it doesn't really count, so...
1: Why doesn't it count?
5: Well, basically because I wasn't born yet.
1: Ah, okay. So, uh, how old are you now?
5: I'm 11 and a
6: half. I'm Jason Scott. I am a historian and archivist for the Internet Archive. I am also an Apple II fan, and, um, I've been going to Kansas Fest now for about six years. So I know you are into preserving all the things,
1: archive all the things, as you're saying, correct? Mm-hmm. Um, why the Apple II specifically, though?
6: What is so special about the Apple II? So there's two things going on there. Um, the Apple II, for me, when I was younger, and this is around 1981, 82, was a machine that was the province of people who had some money and, of course, uh, schoolrooms. They had them in a lot of classrooms. So you kind of got a taste for them. You know, Try to imagine you would every day walk into a, uh, a room that had nothing but Apple Watches, but you couldn't take any home. Well, you'd start to know everything about them, but you couldn't ever see them outside of the classroom. And that's kind of how it was for me with Apple IIs. And I didn't get an Apple II until many years later. Um, so I love to collect all manner of um, vintage computers and stuff from the home computer revolution of the 70s and 80s, Um, But the Apple II, for me, has a very specific meaning as a uh, hobbyist machine, as a very open machine, as having a really good story, long life, and um, yeah. Um, What's your favorite thing about Kansas Fest? You've been coming six years. It seems like a very special place. Sure. My favorite thing about Kansas Fest, far and away, is the non-ironic honesty about the thing that the subject is about. The uh, Apple II uh, fanatics here, the people who are programmers of Apple IIs, the people who uh, have Apple IIs that they're just bringing to have repaired or to learn more about them, everybody is coming at it with a sense of this is some part of my life, either a minor or a major or a forgotten part of my life. And they're, they're here, they're not judged Everybody loves what they're doing. It's not a stepping stone to something else. They're not trying to turn it into a way to seem like they have a long history or or that isn't this funny somebody took an old machine and did something with it. There's this very strong sense everywhere, all the things that are done here, of people who know a machine inside out. And yet when they find something new, it's both a triumph that they found something new And the audience here respects that because they know that there's almost nothing left to find. So when somebody comes in and makes a new card for it or makes a new program or does some amazing amount of work that's artistic, that kind of, you know, uplifts the Apple II, everybody here... Applauds and they mean that applause, and and that's a magical feeling. I I when I first came to the Apple Fest, I was came uh, invited as a keynote speaker, and in some ways that was nice, but in other ways it wasn't so good because I only booked myself for being here for a day and a half. Figuring oh I'll fly in, I'll do my little talk. And then I'll leave these people to their their thing. And then when I got here and I started to see what was going to happen, I immediately regretted what I had done. And if I had had the ability, I would have just canceled my flight and stayed. Um, They were just welcoming people. They didn't know about sleep schedules. They didn't know about, you know, shutting down. Uh, they, They cared about it without being, you know... Off-putting or awkward or or unpleasant It was this very strong sense of Oh, here's a bunch of people Who like this computer Who get together to kind of celebrate and enjoy it Who don't think of themselves as Something that Apple even needs to acknowledge Or interact with Like nobody here thinks anybody at Apple really cares Um, Does anyone at Apple care? Well... Uh, f- older founders uh, people like yeah, Woz was here, a, Woz was here uh, a man named Bob Bishop who was an early employee who just died in the last year he was here um, there have been a number of other early employees who will make a, a trip down or early programmers or people who were parts of software where they worked for Apple and then did their own thing You know, they acknowledge it, they say wow thanks for what we were doing and, and they'll ask a really obscure question uh, I remember um, when Was. Was here a couple years ago um, What they did was um, They They asked why were The chips plugged In instead of soldered In and The speaker wasn't quite sure But Woz knew And the world didn't Shift in understanding Why he had chosen one Method of attaching chips to a board Versus another But there was just a general heartwarming sense of having a tiny, tiny mystery just kind of cleared up by the guy who was working on it, you know, years and years ago. And those moments happen all the time here, you know? Like, um, I have no idea how many pictures you guys are going to take or what people will see, but it is not uncommon to see some piece of equipment and seven non-judgmental people all around that piece of equipment trying to make it work better— or be impressed by what's on there, or collaborate on an idea, you know? And I just don't see that in a lot of other places. There are a lot of festivals and classic computing festivals, and I've gone to many, and I love them, but they are primarily demonstration fairs. A person is given a table, and then they show off what they have, and it is interesting, and some of them have products, and that's nice. Um, But they're not sleepover camps They're not uh, people eating Two or three meals together Occasionally four meals And talking about things Well until everybody's so tired That they stagger off to their rooms You know It's I, I don't know of any other Thing like this Outside of maybe European demo parties But European demo parties Are kind of Competitions first, and then social second, and they also have a variety of platforms and various amounts of knowledge. Here the knowledge runs very deep about a very specific thing, and these people are working on it all the time. The, you, you mentioned sleep-away camp, and that's kind of
1: what this is, isn't it? I mean, everyone is staying in dorms. I mean, they're, yeah. they'll are they probably be up at 3 or 4 a.m., like, you know, showing off each other's things. Yeah. What? How important is that, the fact that, you know, they're sleeping together here, and, and, you know, it's not... People aren't coming in for an hour and then leaving. They're here right. for four days.
6: No, it's absolutely vital to the experience. I mean, um, the fact that it's five days and that every day has a few things means that people take in stuff... And then they kind of come up with ideas, and people are like, wow, I have to really, you know, I have to enter this contest, or I have to find this, or, you know, somebody will come to say, uh, you know, uh, one, of my, one of my friends uh, was here uh, a year ago, and he was duplicating old Apple discs. And he had discovered that, like, you know, five of them had stopped working. Like, he would be duplicating, and one would die. And he'd go and eBay another one. And he was really starting to despair, and he was up to five of them after a few months. He brought them here, and people repaired all of them and showed him how to repair them in the future and showed him how to diagnose what had gone wrong. And that was, you know, mind-blowing for him. You no, know, They didn't want money. They didn't want beer. They didn't want... Anything in return, it was just, oh, you're hurting. You, you want to play with the stuff, and you're running into a problem. Let's fix that for you, and then we'll teach you how to fish so you don't have to wait another year. And So, so for me, like the sleepaway camp, the, the, the hours, the days in, the days out, it all adds up to a very wonderful experience. So people know this machine inside and out, as you mentioned. But
1: still, we are finding new things, new applications, and people are making new programs and you know pushing the limits of this. What is the most impressive thing you've seen in recent memory that these things can do?
6: So the the stuff that impresses me are the I mean, it's it's way out of date in terms of the newest and the hottest. But people have made a number of. Um, SD card readers and writers for the Apple so that you can put all of your floppy disk images onto a card, put that in the machine, and be able to select from them. And everyone uses it. And it's a way to, like, have 1,000 floppies at the ready to be able to boot up. But the machine thinks it's booting from a disk. So you get all the realism, except that you're not having to keep track of a 1,000 floppies. And that means that somebody had to figure out how to put it in as a card they had to come up with the chips and the programming to do it and then they had to come up with ways to emulate a floppy disk you know there's all this work sub projects all the way down and the result is this very in some ways obvious but really breathtaking piece um there so before
1: you know five ten years ago i don't know how long Mm-hmm. This tech has been out, but sure. at
6: Kansas Fest, did people bring like dozens and dozens of floppies? Yeah, unquestionably, I'm sure that's what they did. Um, in fact, um, there was a pile of old disc plastic holders that were at the giveaway. So there's a box of now discarded. Nobody's running to get these things floppy disks uh, that are that are you know not needed because we're able to put things on cards or transfer them into the Apple. Um, you know, I have a couple Apples. I primarily use them to get collections from other people and turn them into floppy disk images for the Internet Archive and then boot off of them. So for me, the Apples have become basically reading machines. Give me a floppy and I'll turn it into a 140K disk image and and I'll just keep going. And I've got user groups and private people and just giving me images so that we can make them live again Online, so that that's my particular relationship to it. That's not everyone's relationship here. For me, it's a means to an end. To them, it is the end. It is the, what they want to do. How often do you see a new
1: program that you haven't seen before? And by new, I mean an unknown or lost program. Like, how often does a, a floppy come to you that you know isn't online and maybe isn't easily available?
6: Well, so we have a, we have a cracker um, whose name is 4AM, and 4AM has been researching what programs never got distributed back then, either because they were educational programs or they were particularly tough to duplicate or nobody bought them, and then this person, 4AM, has been uploading them. So believe it or not, four to, <laughs> three to four times a day uh, there's somebody who's doing this work. And they're basically taking um, the stuff that just history happened to pass by. You know, like a lot of things, you know, like MTV's rotation of videos or Top 40 Station's rotation of songs, there were only a few dozen Apple II programs that really hit that superstar status. You know, if you say to the right people... Um, You know, Hard Hat Mac, Crisis Mountain, Dino Eggs, um, you'll say, oh, yeah, I remember that. But then if you start to say to them, oh, you know, counting numbers or, um, you know, learning with Leaper, you're going to start to learn that people didn't actually have as many as they thought they did. They might have a few dozen perfect ones, but there were thousands of programs made. And so we're just trying to get them before they completely slip through the cracks. Um, and so I'm lucky. I am happen to be lucky because I've made myself into a nexus online and off of people saying, you know, I've got a crate full of floppies. Do you want to image them? And I go, sure. And, yeah, I get the same ones over and over. But that's, in the grand scheme of things, that's a pretty minor risk. Right. I keep hearing about four AM. Do you know who four AM is? I know of four AM and four AM has asked me questions online, but I don't officially know anything about four AM.
1: I heard that he's here and is gonna reveal himself.
6: Four AM might reveal themselves, but I, I I I like that there's any for however long it has been with four AM, people have been um, you know, enjoying the work that they're doing which is like honest good technically astute work so if they want to keep that going that works for me right have you heard anyone else talking about like who it might be
1: or no. is there there is there any excitement around going going around right now or it's just people Really approve of what they're doing And it's an exciting thing That we're getting these cracked, you know, pristine copies Right Don't, don't care who it is
6: Yeah, I think for people They either figure out who 4AM is Because they just run it down and whatever And they have a pretty good idea But then it's like What harm is there in taking this little approach And that means also the mantle of 4AM can be passed So I kind of like that idea I was a fan of the Edgar Allan Poe Visitor before that disappeared, mm-hmm. um, and it was quite obvious that uh, those in the know at the place where the grave was knew who it was, but just didn't discuss it. Right? Um, Does he or she
1: do only Apple II cracks? As far as I know, sure. Yeah. This is very exciting. I want to know. <laughs> <laughs> you want you I do. Yes. You only known about
6: 4AM for how long? A day. A, a day. Yes. Yeah. yeah.
1: But I love a mystery, you know? Exactly. I'd like to talk to 4AM. I can keep their secret, but (laughs) yeah. All right, well, thank you. This is great. Thank you. Thanks. Thank you so much. Yep. I spent a couple hours looking for 4AM after I talked to Jason Scott, and I wasn't quite able to find him, though I did have my suspicions and hunches. Um, But at the end of the day, it turned out that 4AM wanted to remain anonymous. I did contact him. Through Twitter, but he declined to be interviewed for the podcast. Maybe next year. Thank you for listening to Radio Motherboard. As always, you can leave us feedback on motherboard.vice.com. Our Twitter is twitter.com slash motherboard. Uh, you can leave us an iTunes review. And I'm always happy to hear your feedback. I'm at jason.kebler, K-O-E-B-L-E-R, at vice.com. And uh, maybe we will see you at next year's Kansas Fest. Thanks a lot.
2: Uh, it's best, this Kansas Fest, that conference, are excellent. This one for them hack men, them crack men, at retro pieces. Fly in, drive in, in July, Kansas.